The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Oh, it is Jesus. Touch the hem of his robe. And the healing is yours. I praise his name. I'm reading to you from Matthew. 24th chapter. Beginning with verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Matthew 24, verse 36 No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will return. Keep watch. Oh, I praise God. He's coming. I want to be ready. I don't want to grow cold because of the blowing of the devil on my life. The last week has been very difficult for me. I didn't sleep well last night. I was awake many times crying out to the Lord in prayer for you. On May 12, I did a broadcast entitled The Elder Brother. On May 13, Shameless Prayer of Victory. On May 14, Are You Concerned About Your Salvation? As the week progressed, I could hear the click-offs on the radio, on the internet, on the podcast. Until finally, when we reached May 14, it was the smallest number of people, I think, that has ever listened to Pilgrim's Progress Radio. I know why. I was very vulnerable. I was extremely honest. Uncovering my heart. And many of you simply didn't want to hear it. For some of you, it was too painful to hear. Some of you are so filled with pride about your theological knowledge that you don't want to even dare ask the question about your salvation. So today I'm going to change the tone. You know what? When I talked about Revelation... Those were the highest listened to broadcasts that I've done recently. 
People want to hear about the coming of Jesus, but just don't talk to me about my sin. Okay. I'll let you run. But let's talk about a vision. I'm going to share with you today a vision that a young man, 17 years old, had back in 1937. I believe this vision was from God, and I believe it was accurate. I'm not going to go into all the reasons why I believe that. I'm going to simply present Joe Brandit's vision as it was first published. Let me see if I can tell you where it was first published. Um, yes, it was first published in the Living Water a publication. Um, in the April, May, June issue of 1969. Now, I heard this, I read this um, in the early 70s. I was stunned by what I read. This young man fell off a horse when he was 17 and had a massive concussion. And then as he awakened to partial awakening in the hospital, he began to have these dreams night after night, sequentially, every one fitting with the one prior. So I'm going to share this extended dream with you today. I believe it is an accurate description of what is going to actually happen in California, in Colorado, in Nevada, in Arizona. I'll just read it as it was given. This is his testimony. It was written in a, a boyish hand, a young man, and this is what he recounted. Before I share it, let's pray. Lord, I ask that this story that I'm going to share would be a powerful awakening and encouragement to each who is listening. Lord, I've prayed much for these dear ones. I pray for your mercy in their life and in their heart, and I ask that you would give them very clear direction. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. He wrote, I woke up in the hospital with a terrific headache, as if the whole world was revolving inside my brain. I remembered vaguely the fall from my horse Blackie. As I lay there, pictures began to form in my mind, pictures that moved with the speed of lightning, pictures that revolved, pictures that stood still. I seemed to be in another world. Whether it was the future or whether it was some ancient land, I couldn't say. Then slowly, like a silver screen on the, on the talkies, he means television, but with color and smell and sound, I seemed to find myself in Los Angeles. It was Los Angeles. It was bigger and 
and much bigger, and buses and odd-shaped cars crowded the city streets. I thought about Hollywood Boulevard, and I found myself there on Hollywood Boulevard. Whether this is true, I don't know, but there were a lot of guys about my age with beards and wearing some of them earrings. All the girls wore short skirts. They slouched along, moving like a dance. I wondered if I could talk to them. I said hello, but they didn't hear or see me. I decided that I would look as funny to them as they looked to me. I tried for a while that crazy kind of walk. I guess it's something you have to learn. I couldn't do it. I noticed there was a a quietness about the air, a kind of stillness. Something else was missing, something that should be there. At first I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what it was. Then I did. There were no birds. I listened. I walked two blocks north on the boulevard, all houses, no birds. I wonder what had happened to them. Had they gone away? And where? Again I could hear the stillness. I've never experienced anything like it. I listened. Just the stillness. Then I knew something was going to happen. I wondered what year it was. It certainly was not 1937. I saw a newspaper on the corner with a picture of the president. He surely wasn't Mr. Roosevelt. He was bigger, heavier. If it wasn't 1937, I wondered what year it was. I I looked. It almost looked like 1969, but I wasn't sure. My eyes weren't working right. Someone was coming, someone in 1937. It was that fat nurse ready to take my temperature. I woke up. Crazy dream. There are pages here about a similar dream occurring, finding himself in Los Angeles, although it was the next day in 1937. It was the same day in Los Angeles, and the dream would continue where the last dream left off. My headache was worse. It was a wonder I didn't get killed on that horse. And then I had another crazy dream back in Hollywood. Those people, why do they dress like that, I wonder? I found myself back on the boulevard. I was waiting for something to happen. Something big was going to happen and I was going to be there. I looked up at the clock down there by the big theater. It was ten minutes to four. Something big was going to happen. I I walked down the street. In the concrete in front of the theater, I saw names. Names of stars. I recognized a few of them, the other names I'd never heard. I was getting bored. I wanted to get back to the hospital in Fresno. I wanted to stay there, and and I at the same time wanted to stay there on the boulevard 
Even if nobody could see me, these crazy kids, why are they dressed like that? Maybe it's some big Halloween doing, but it doesn't seem like Halloween, more like early spring. There was that sound again, that that lack of sound, stillness, stillness, stillness. Don't these people know that the birds have gone somewhere? The quiet is getting bigger and bigger. I know it's going to happen. Something is going to happen. Something is happening now. It sure did. She woke me up smiling. That fat nurse again. It's time for your milk, kiddo, she said. Gosh, old woman of 30 acting like the cat's pajamas. Next time, maybe she'll bring me hot chocolate. Where have I been? Where haven't I been? I've been to the ends of the earth and back. I've been to the end of the world. There isn't anything left, not even Fresno. Even though I'm lying here right now this minute in Fresno, if only my eyes would get a little clearer so I could write it all down, nobody will believe me anyway. I'm going back to the last moment on the boulevard. Some sweet kid went passing, dragging a little boy. Twins, I guess, by each hand. Her skirt was up pretty high. She had a tired look. I thought for a a minute I could ask her about the birds. What had happened to them? And then I remembered she didn't see me. Her hair was all frozy, way out over her head. A lot of them looked like that, but she looked so tired, like she was sorry about something. I guess she was sorry before it happened, because it surely did happen. There was a a funny smell. I don't like it. A smell like, like sulfur. Sulfuric acid, a, a smell like death. For a minute I thought I was back in chemistry. Where I looked around then for the girl and she was gone. I wanted to find her for some reason. It was as if I knew something was going to happen and I could stay with her. Maybe I could help her. But she was gone. I walked half a block and I saw the clock again. My eyes seemed glued on that clock. I couldn't move. I just waited. It was five minutes to four o'clock on a sunny afternoon. I thought I would stand there looking at that clock forever, just waiting for something to happen. And then it came. It was nothing. It was just... It was nothing. It wasn't nearly as hard as the earthquake we'd had two years ago. The ground shook just for an instant. People looked at each other, surprised, and then they laughed. And I laughed, too. So this was what I'd been waiting for, this funny little shake. It meant nothing. I was relieved, and I was disappointed. What had I been waiting for? I started back up the boulevard, moving my legs like those kids. (laughs) How do they do it? 
I never found out. I felt as if the ground wasn't solid under me. I knew I was dreaming, and yet I wasn't dreaming. There was that smell again coming like from the ocean. I was getting to the five and ten newberries. And I saw the look on the kid's face. Two of them were right in front of me, coming my way, both with beards, one with earrings, and one said, Let's get out of this place. Let's go back east. He seemed scared. It was as if the sidewalks were trembling, but you couldn't seem to see them. Not even with your eyes, you couldn't. An old lady had a dog, a little white dog. She stopped, and she looked scared, and she grabbed him up in her arms and said, Let's go home, Fro. Fro, Mama's going to take you home now. That poor old lady hanging on to her dog. I got scared, real scared. I remember the girl. She was way down the block. Probably I started to run. I ran and I ran, and the ground kept trembling, but I couldn't see it. I I couldn't feel it, but I knew it was trembling. Everybody looked scared. They looked terrible. One young lady just down on the sidewalk, all doubled up, she kept saying, Earthquake! It's the earthquake! Over and over. But I couldn't see that anything was different. Then when it came, it came. How it came. Like nothing in God's world. Like nothing. It was the scream of a siren, long and low, or the scream of a woman I'd heard having a baby when I was a kid. It was awful. It was as if something, some monster, was pushing up the sidewalks. You felt it long before you saw it, as if the sidewalks wouldn't hold anything anymore. I looked out at the cars. They were honking, but not scared. They just kept moving. They didn't seem to know yet that anything was happening. Then that white car, that that baby half-sized one, came sprawling from the inside lane right against the curb. The girl who was driving just sat there. She sat there with her eyes staring as if she couldn't move. But I could hear her. She whimpered like a little girl. She made funny noises. I watched her thinking of the other girl. I said that it was a dream, and I I would wake up. But I didn't wake up. The shaking had started again, but this time different. It was a nice shaking, like a cradle being rocked for a minute. And then I saw the middle of the boulevard. It seemed to be breaking in two. The concrete looked as if it were being pushed straight up by some giant shovel. It was breaking in two. That's why the girl's car went out of control. And then a a sound, again, like I've never heard before. Then hundreds of sounds, all kinds of sounds. Children and women and those crazy guys with earrings. They were all moving. It seemed some of them 
above the sidewalk. I can't describe it. They were they were lifted up, and the water kept oozing and oozing. The cries, it was awful. I woke up. I never want to have that dream again. It came again, like the first time, which was just a preview. And all I could remember was that it was the end of the world. I was right back there, all that crying, right in the middle of it. My eardrums felt as if they were going to burst. Noise everywhere, people falling down, some of them badly hurt. Pieces of buildings, chips flying in the air. One hit me hard on the side of the face, but I didn't seem to feel it. I wanted only to wake up to get away from this place. It had been fun in the beginning, the first dream, when I kind of knew I was going to dream the end of the world or something. This was terrible. There were older people in their cars. Most of the kids were in the street. But those old guys were yelling bloody murder as if anybody could help them. Nobody could help them. Nobody could help them. It was then that I felt myself lifted up. Maybe I had died. I didn't know. But I was over the city. It was tilting toward the ocean like tilting a picnic table. The buildings were holding better than you could believe. They were holding. They were holding. The people saw that they were holding, and they tried to cling to them or get inside. It was fantastic, like like a building had a will of its own, everything else breaking around them, and they were, they were holding. They were holding. I was up over them looking down. I stared I even started to root for those buildings. Hold the line, I said. Hold that line. Hold that line. I wanted to cheer, to shout, to scream. If the buildings held, those build, those buildings on the boulevard, maybe that girl, the girl with the two children, she might get inside. It looked that way for a long time, maybe, maybe three minutes. Those three minutes were like forever. Everybody was trying to get inside. They were they were going to hold. You knew they were going to hold, even if the waters kept coming up. Only they didn't. I've never imagined what it would be like for a building to die. A building dies just like a person. It gives way. Some of the bigger ones did just that. They began to crumble like an old man with palsy who couldn't take it any more. They crumbled right down to nothing. And the little ones screamed like mad over and above the roar of the people. They were mad about dying. But buildings die. I couldn't look any more at the people. I kept wanting to get higher. I kept... I kept willing myself to go higher. Then I seemed to be out of it all. But I could see. I seemed to be up on Big Bear near San Bernardino. 
But the funny thing is that I could see everywhere. I I could see what was happening. The earth seemed to start to tremble again. I could feel it even though I was up high. This time it lasted maybe twelve seconds, and it was gentle. You couldn't believe anything so gentle could cause so much damage. Then I saw the streets of Los Angeles and everything between San Bernardino Mountains and L.A. It was all tilting toward the ocean. Houses. Everything that was left. I could see the big lane, dozens of big lanes, still loaded with cars, five lanes in one place, and all the cars sliding the same way. Oh, now the ocean was coming in, moving like a huge snake across the land. I wondered how long it was. I could see the clock even though I wasn't there on the boulevard. It was 4.29. It had been a half an hour. I was glad I couldn't hear the crying anymore. But I could see everything. I could see everything. Then, like looking at a huge map of the world, I could see what was happening on the land and with people. San Francisco was feeling it, but she was not in any way like Hollywood or Los Angeles. I could see it again. It was the Garlock Fault, not just the San Andreas that was rocking San Francisco. It was moving just like the earthquake movie with Jeanette MacDonald and, and Gable. I could see all the mountains coming together, the Sierra Nevada and the San Andreas and the Garlock. I knew what was going to happen to San Francisco. It was going to just turn over because of Garlock. It would turn upside down. It went quickly because of the twisting, I guess. It seemed much faster than Hollywood. But then I wasn't exactly there. I was a long, long way away. I shut my eyes for a long time. I guess ten minutes. And when I opened them, I saw the Grand Canyon. That great big gap was closing in, and Boulder Dam was being pushed from underneath, and then Nevada, and on up to Reno. Way down south, way down to Baja, California, Mexico, too, it looked like some volcano down there was erupting along with everything else. I saw the map of South America, especially Colombia. Another volcano eruption shaking violently. Venezuela seemed to be having some kind of volcanic activity. Away off in the distance, I could see Japan on a fault, too. It was so far off, not easy to see, because I was, I was still on Big Bear Mountain. Japan started to go into the sea. I couldn't tell time then. People looked like dolls far away. 
I couldn't hear the screaming, but I could see the surprised look on their faces. They looked so surprised. They were all like dolls. It was so far away. I could hardly see. In a minute or two, it seemed, it seemed it was over. And everybody was gone. There was nobody left. I didn't know time now. I couldn't see a clock. I tried to see the island of Hawaii. I could just see huge tidal waves beating against it. The people on the streets were getting wet. They were scared. But I didn't see anybody going into the sea. I could see way around the globe. It was flooding. Is the world going to be drenched? Constantinople, Black Sea rising, Suez Canal for some reason seemed to be drying up. Sicily, she doesn't hold. I could see the map. Mount Etna is shaking. A lot of this area seemed to go, but it seemed to be earlier or later. I wasn't sure of time. England, huge floods, but no tidal waves. Water, water everywhere, but no one going into the sea. People were frightened and crying. Some places they fell in the streets on their knees and started to pray for the world. I don't know the. I didn't know that the English were so emotional. Ireland, Scotland, all kinds of churches were crowded. It seemed night and day. People were carrying candles, and everybody was crying for California, Nevada, parts of Colorado, maybe all of Colorado, even Utah. Everybody was crying. Most of them didn't even know anybody in California or Nevada or Utah, but but they were crying as if they were blood kin, like one family, like it happened to them. I could begin to see New York City. It was coming into view. The city was still there. Nothing had happened, yet water levels way up. Here things were different. People were running in the streets yelling, End of the world! End of the world! Kids ran into the restaurants and ate everything in sight. I saw a shoe store with all the shoes gone in about five minutes. Fifth Avenue, everybody running. Some radio blasting from a loudspeaker, that is, that in a few minutes power might be shut off. They must control themselves. Five girls were running like mad toward the YWCA that place in Lexington or somewhere, they ran like they were scared to death, but nothing was happening in New York. I saw an old lady with garbage cans filling them with water. Everybody seemed scared to death. Some people looked dazed. The streets seemed filled with loudspeakers. It wasn't daylight. It was night. I saw like the next day, and and everything was topsy-turvy. Loudspeakers again about fuel tanks broken in area storages of oil. People seemed to be looting the markets and the stores. Oregon. Washington. 
the Dakotas, Missouri, Minnesota, Canada. I saw a lot of places that seemed safe and people were not scared, especially in the rural areas. Here, everything was almost if nothing had happened. People seemed headed to those places, some on foot, some in cars, if they still had fuel. I heard or somehow knew that that somewhere in the Atlantic land had come up, a lot of land. I was getting so tired. I wanted to wake up. I wanted to go back to the girl to know where she was and those two kids. I found myself back in Hollywood. It was 429. I wasn't up on Big Bear then. I was perched over Hollywood. I was just there. It seemed perfectly natural in my dream. I could hear now. I could hear some place, a radio station blasting out, telling people not to panic while they were dying in the streets. There were picture stations with movies, some right in Hollywood. These were carrying on with all the shaking. One fellow in the picture TV was a little short guy who should have been scared to death, but he wasn't. He kept shouting and reading instructions, something about helicopters or planes would go over some kind of plane that I I knew they couldn't. Things were happening in the atmosphere. The waves were rushing up now, waves, such waves, nightmare waves. Then I saw again Boulder Dam going down, pushing together, pushing together, breaking apart. No, Grand Canyon was pushing together and Boulder Dam was breaking apart. It was still daylight. All these radio stations went off at the same time. Boulder Dam had broken. I wondered how everybody would know about it, people back east. But there was... That's when I saw the ham radio operators. I saw them in the oddest places, as if I were right there with them, like little guys with glasses, they kept sounding the alarm. One kept saying, This is California. We are going into the sea. This is California. We are going into the sea. Get to the high places. Get to the mountains. All states west. This is California. We are going. We are going. I thought he was going to say sea, but I... I could see him. He was inland. But the waters had come in. His hand was still clinging to the table. He was trying to get up so that once again he could say, This is California. We're going into the sea. This is California. We are going into the sea. I seemed to hear this over and over for what seemed hours. Just those words. They kept it up until the last minute all of them calling out, Get to the mountains. This is California. We are going into the sea. And I woke up. It didn't seem as if I'd been dreaming. I'd never been so tired. For a minute or two, I, I thought it really happened. I wondered about two things. 
I hadn't seen all what happened to Fresno. And I hadn't found out what had happened to that girl. I've been thinking about it all morning. I'm going home tomorrow. It was just a dream, nothing more. Nobody in the future on Hollywood Boulevard is going to wear earrings and those beards. Nothing like that is ever going to happen. That girl was so real to me with those two kids. I won't, it won't happen. It won't ever happen. But it did. How could I tell her? Maybe she isn't even born yet. To move away from California when she has twins. She can't be on the boulevard that day. She was so real. The other thing, those, those ham operators hanging on like that over and over, saying the same thing. This is California. We're going into the sea. This is California. We're going into the sea. Get to the mountains. Get to the hilltops. California, Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, Utah. This is California. We are going into the sea. I guess I'll hear that for days. The dream I've just shared with you was written by Joe Brandit at age 17 as he was recovering from a brain concussion in a Fresno, California hospital in 1937. Terrifying. I believe it's going to happen. I believe we're right at the door. Now I want to change. I want to go to a story told by Dr. Charles Price. It's a different kind of story. Dr. Price, as you may remember, was a, a very famous evangelist, scholar, held meetings for teaching the gospel of Jesus and for healing the sick and the dying. It was at the conclusion of the meeting he had called for the sick to come forward for prayer. And there was a little girl that came to the platform and she stood in front of the pulpit. She was eager and anxious for the prayer of faith. She'd been crying, but the tears had been wiped away and, and now there was a smile on her countenance. How old are you, little sweetheart? I'm seven, sir. Do you love Jesus? For I'm sure you must, for you know Jesus loves little children. Tell me, dear, what is your trouble? Her answer is a very pained expression. She slowly lifts her limb and shows us a very bad, crippled, and deformed little foot encased in a special large and bulky shoe. Under her arm, she's holding something that 
that seems to be of great value to her. It's wrapped in a piece of newspaper tied with string. And it strikes us as strange that she should carry such a package to come on the platform. What have you in the little parcel? Her answer was the change from expression of pain to a sweet smile. Slowly, in full view of the audience, she unfastened the string and unrolled the paper. And to our astonished eyes, she presented a new shoe. She held it up very proudly and then quietly exclaimed, I brought it with me so I could wear it home. Faith, 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 unsullied, unspoiled, untarnished by the ravages of our modern age. That faith of a little child reached out and stood on the promise. Sweet, simple, childlike faith. Her master had spoken, and she believed. Except you become converted and become as little children. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We took that shoe and looked at it, and then our eyes turned back to that little seven-year-old girl Her hands, now freed, were being slowly raised to heaven, and her her lips were moving in prayer. We placed upon her forehead the oil of anointment, and prayed to the friend of little children, and said as we finished, My little sister, receive your healing in the name of Jesus. No expression of ecstatic joy left her lips. No shout of glory, no word of praise, no exuberance of feeling, no outburst of emotionalism. She just looked up at us and smiled. God bless you, little sweetheart, we said, as we handed her back her shoe. She took it and very deliberately walked over to the chair we had just vacated and stooping over, she began to unfasten the shoe on her crippled foot. The congregation gazed at her in amazement. Once she looked up and smiled. Then with a quick jerk, off came the old shoe as she placed it by the side of her chair, and she said, I won't need that any more, will I? She never put that old shoe back on again. When she walked off the stage, it was with her new shoe on the foot that had been crippled. Who healed you, dear? Jesus. She walked to the end of the platform, stopped a moment, and then went on again, saying as she went, Somebody... Throw that old shoe, throw that old shoe away. I won't want it any more. Out of the audience came sobbing, strong men, who came to criticize and stayed to pray. 
and women whose lives had been centered in self waited to kneel at the foot of the friendless prisoner of Pilate's judgment hall and tell him they would serve and love him the rest of their lives. The little child who should lead them had taught a great audience the difference between passive and active faith. The difference between passive and active faith. We're facing a time of great judgment. America right now is on timeout. The churches are on timeout. Businesses are crumbling as are churches. We're facing famine. And we are entering a great depression. We are come to the end of the world. Now some people look at the seals of Revelation and and they say, well, none of them are open yet. I'm not going to argue with anybody about the seals, but when I read them and I pray as I have been, it's plain to me that the first four seals have been opened and we are now beginning to enter the fifth seal. It doesn't happen the second. No, they're opened slowly and they flow like a stream of water, picking up speed as they move along. The only reason I could imagine that a person would say, no, pastor, we're not in the fourth seal is because they don't want to think we're that close to the coming of Jesus. But I can tell you today, no man knows the time or the hour, the day or the hour. But we're going to see such destruction, such loss of life. How can you hear this prophecy of California without weeping? The judgments of God are coming. Are you ready? I've prayed for men and women for healing. And as soon as they respond, I know whether they'll be healed or not. If they respond with, thank you, Pastor, I'll wait on God. I'll go ahead with the surgery. Or whatever they say, I know they won't be healed. I know the ones who are healed are the ones who say, Praise God. He has promised it, and it's mine. And I am healed in the name of Jesus. And I'm standing by faith that it's done in the heavenlies. And I know it will be done for me. And they leave with a face and countenance full of joy. And it doesn't matter really what's happened in the physical realm because they know what is going to happen. I have faith today that my Lord is about to change everything in America. The devil's had his swing. 
But God is going to come and quicken his church, and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. And he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit. And I praise his name. Would you go back and take a listen to those past messages last week? The prodigal son, the older brother. Would you consider your salvation? Will you go back and listen to those? I'm praying for you. I love you in the name of Jesus. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're out of time for today. I'll come back tomorrow. Would you invite a friend to listen? Would you subscribe to our YouTube channel? Would you write to me? We only received two offerings this last week, and we're a long way from having the money to pay for radio yet this month. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to nationalprayerchapel.com where the videos are available, podcasts are available, and you can also give online. I pray today has been helpful to you. Thank you for listening. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. Talk to you soon. Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy.